welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast, where every week we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under, with your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. Hello and welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. I'm your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio, and we are here to discuss episode eight of season one of Six Feet Under, titled Crossroads. Uh, I'm here this week with Brett Ray, who hosts a YouTube series titled Living Among the Dead, Tales from the Mortuary. Brett, how are you doing today? Not too bad. How are you doing, Victor? All right. Not bad. I kind of just, I like to start out and give the floor to who I'm hosting the podcast with just to introduce yourself and kind of what you do. So please tell everyone who's listening. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Well, thanks for having me. My name is Brett, like you mentioned, and I'm a funeral director in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia on the West Coast in Canada. And I've been doing this for, I've been in the industry for about 12 years now and uh, licensed for close to 10 and uh, I've been spending a lot of time in the funeral directing side of things. So that's uh, that's where I'm coming from. And your YouTube series that you're you're sort of in the pilot stages of, right? Yeah, I could say that. yeah, very very early stages. And so you kind of just take questions and inform people through YouTube, basically. Yeah, I try and take sort of an educational approach. Um, you know, any questions that come my way, just kind of try and address them directly and uh, get people kind of involved and and sort of pull back that veil behind the funeral industry that's there you know yeah and it's funny is that's that's one of the things that made me want to do this is i mean just from you know you being a funeral director just so many people have questions and something like this like a you know a podcast medium just to inform people because we're not trying to hide any of the information it's just it's not out there for whatever reason it's not an industry that's well known as yeah that's still you know, kind of a else. taboo subject in the right right in the mass you know yeah and, and you know it's it's the, the tv show we're watching is you know they kind of pull the curtain behind a little bit but even that i guess you would agree too is they're leaving out so much that people just don't know about you know absolutely like there you know you watch the show and you, you do you get a good feel for it um but it's mm-hmm. you know it's very one-sided too you know mm-hmm. but absolutely if you if anyone wants to have kind of a inside look it's a good place to start of course but you know search further beyond that of course right right and after having watched this episode i i emailed you just to say because i've been kind of doing a little bit of both kind of the story and the funeral aspect just to keep both audiences quote unquote involved and you know after real after watching this episode i realized that especially you with you having a funeral director here that's you know has been in the license longer than me that this episode alone is just going to be really heavy funeral wise oh, there's, yeah. there's just so much to talk about yeah. this to me the story almost takes a, a back seat to the funeral stuff we could talk about, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I was watching this last night with my girlfriend and it was a good opportunity because uh, I try to tell her a little bit about it day to day, but I don't think it really brings across the message until you actually see a show like that. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, okay, I, right. I see. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And so I wanted to start off with two questions before we get into the episode. Sure. Uh, first, I just want to just get, let me hear uh, your brief history with Six Feet Under. Are you... Uh, have you ever watched it before? Is this kind of your first? What's your? Actually, yes. Yeah. So back in 2000 and whew, let me think here, 2004, when mm-hmm. I first got introduced to the industry, um, I had been kind of watching that show, the first season of it. And I thought to myself, you know, God, I don't want to bring my work home with me. You know what I mean? And go home, <laughs> finish the day at the funeral home, go home and watch an hour of more funeral stuff. Right. <laughs> right. So, right. 
you know, I got through the first season and I really, really enjoyed it. But, you know, I kind of wanted to distance my personal part from the work part a bit. So I, I kind of, tip, you know, tip, tippered off a little bit from there. Right. Uh, so I do actually, I'm looking forward to catching up. Mm, but, the, cool. yeah, the first season was uh, was enjoyable. All right. And now let me ask you, being that I am host, well, coming from America and, well, largely the East Coast and compared to you in now, Vancouver is where? Uh, it's right on the west coast of British Columbia, about an hour from the border of uh, Washington. Okay. is And being that you're that close to America, is there any different funeral customs that you do compared to what you see in America or not really? Um, you know, honestly, I, I couldn't tell you because okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of Canadian uh, funeral tradition is just westernized as would be the states you know mm-hmm. so uh, we have a huge cremation rate out here i don't know if it's right. any different out there if there's a more traditional oh, yeah. sort of uh, burial uh thing out there but no it's about 80 percent, maybe even 90 percent cremation out this way yeah oh i mean cre- cremation is rising everywhere yeah. just because people come in with transient price and whatnot uh just you know generation two mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean I, I guess as we talk through the episode we'll find out if you know i come from one place you come from another place that you know, we, we probably won't agree on something just because the way, you know, it's done and whatnot. But that being said, we can get into our episode. Our episode Crossroads actually aired on July 22nd, 2001. And our depth capsule starts out with, now she has a lot of names here. It's Chloe Ann Bryant Yorkin. And she's out celebrating her divorce. She's out in the town with the ladies. And very simply put, she's she jumps out of the limousine of sorts. No, she doesn't jump out. Let me take that back. Sticks her head. Yeah. Yeah. She goes through the sunroof and she hits a telephone repair booth and is instantly killed. And you kind of see really quick the last shot of it. Her her body kind of like jerks up. I I don't recall a death like this happening in my field, like just of the cases I've been around and whatnot, that, and and I mean that in terms of the person was literally out celebrating something Mm -hmm. and they died during it. Have you, have you had anything like that? You know, you don't have to get specifics, obviously, just anything as tragic as that, I guess I would say. You know, I, where I live um, is pretty Mm -hmm. close to, See, we have a, a party street here like every other city does, right? right? And <laughs> it, it kind of got a bit of a reputation for being a little bit violent at times in Vancouver. And oh, okay. um, so, you know, you'd get the occasional case of somebody out with their friends and, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps a stabbing or something, but nothing accidental like this. You know, I I'd, I don't recall anything like this happening. And, you know, I have to say, too, when, when I had watched it and then what you see what happens to her head later on in the episode – for for the speed they were traveling, I don't I don't think it would have caused that amount of damage. I you know, I know I, I know it's a TV show and yeah. and you know as funeral directors we sometimes after we get the cases whatnot we we <laughs> I laugh to myself because I always say we we sometimes become like CSI experts <laughs> yeah. that you know we just kind of like oh this is what happened there and yeah. you know we, we don't really know anything to be completely honest uh, but speculation right and but the impact and the speed that they were going doesn't match up no right no and that's the yeah. first thing i thought when i saw that that <laughs> injury i was like oh my god how do you how do you do that from that speed you know the what's important with that is that this is a tv show yeah. so things are going to be dramatized Absolutely. i mean the limo could have been going faster and i definitely would have bought that but for the speed that they were showing on tv and whatnot obviously <laughs> like we're saying it just kind of didn't match up but yeah that's fine uh our our episode starts out with a downtime in the fisher funeral home and 
you know, we have David outside and Nate is tanning. Uh, what I liked here, and I think it's important to keep in mind that I'm going to try and stick to the story, but there's just so much funeral stuff here that I'm probably going to lean more on the funeral. But what I liked here, that David's in a suit, Nate's outside tanning, and that is really essential essential character points. You know, even in a downtime, David is still buttoned up. He's still the businessman. And, you know, <laughs> it, it's kind of a joke. It's, it's kind of the, 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 bo- the most way you can. Yeah. His, his uh, tie is not even relaxed in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I, I know we were speaking a little bit about weather up there, but to be tanning outside. Now, this is a fisher, meaning he's not an employee. He, he is, his name is on the funeral home. To be, and, and you see really quick, there's a shot of, their, their funeral home is actually literally on a corner of a somewhat busy street. Yep. You know, I don't think for the funeral owner, funeral home owner to be tanning on a street like that is pretty, let, what's the word? Let me tell you a story. Okay. Yeah. We, we had, yeah, uh, we had a company wide strike a couple about, I think it was about 2008 or nine. Okay. And there's this one case, you, you know, I'm part of a, a larger group of funeral homes. Uh-huh. And so this other location, I mean, they got this, one guy, he's a funeral director. He's been doing it about four or five years longer than me. And he's, he's a guy, he's, he keeps in shape, you know what I mean? But during uh-huh. the strike, rather than picketing, he was <laughs> in a Speedo in a lounge chair <laughs> on an extremely busy main artery through the city. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God, what are you doing? At the funeral home? At the funeral home. And this is a oh my God. publicly treated company. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's seeing this. Everyone's seeing it. Everyone's seeing so it. So you, you, you had a Nate at your funeral home. I had a Nate. <laughs> a nasty Nate, as you call him. <laughs> oh boy, that's funny. Yeah. Um, it happens, man. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I don't even. I wouldn't even tan like that in my own front yard. Oh, no, let alone <laughs> in front of you know a funeral home at work or whatnot. Hey. But <laughs> <laughs> neighbors don't need to see this. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you know, well, what I wanted to start out discussing that you know they have a they have a downtime, slow time here at the funeral home, and just kind of how us as funeral directors deal with that. Um, you know, there's always the joke that people are always dying, and while that's true. You have to imagine the area and how many funeral homes there are in that area. Yep. So while business may be slow for one funeral home, uh, another funeral home, you know, may be getting work. You know, it's not like the entire area. There's just no one dying. Absolutely. You know, there's, if you realize it's a business. So there's a lot to do even when there's downtime. There's always, you know, there's a side project. There's, you know, funeral contracts to follow up on. Sure, community um, service. Yeah, anything like that. Yep. But I'll also say to add to that, there's there's only so many times you can vacuum the chapel and clean the bathrooms and restack the shelves and everything, you know? Yeah, there's a time uh, when you just got to accept that there's a little bit of downtime <laughs> and relax a bit. I know. Yeah. 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 You can't make work all day. Do you have any experience or if you could recall the longest, wherever you were working, the longest you've gone without a call, kind of like what the fishers are going through? Sure, absolutely. I mean, we... I think this year has been a pretty much record slow year for this company for, for quite oh, wow. some time. So, you know, normally we might be doing, say, 30 calls a month. I okay. think between four of us, there was only about nine last month. And so wow. when you consider how many staff you have and how little there is to do, I mean, here's the thing, though. Those nine calls, they were all in yeah. the same week. You know, so you got, you're crammed, but that, that, that month though, I mean, I, you know, I, 
you're cleaning, you're disinfecting the prep room, you're dusting, but you're also catching up on your articles too. Because, you know, like work can't always be about work, especially in this industry. Mm -hmm. You need a little bit of that time to sort of disconnect, use that downtime as as a bit of a bonus, you know, because we, we work hard and we, we deal with a lot of emotions. So I'm a big advocate of, you know, taking a little bit of me time as well when it's slow. And that's funny, you know, I wanted to get into it later in, in the episode, but you kind of brought it up already that while you do have downtime and you'll go through a stretch like this where you're not, your, your funeral home isn't getting any calls, that call or like you said, you got nine in one week. You know, three of those calls could break at three a.m. Oh yeah, Absolutely. you know, and that's and that's kind of like the uh, the the toll the toll that a, a funeral director takes is, you know, you spent the entire day doing nothing, and all of a sudden at three a.m. everything yeah kind of breaks, and that's it's just crazy that you went a month with nine calls, but those nine calls were within the same week. Yeah. That's it's, it's that's such a typical <laughs> funeral home uh, scenario. Yep, I mean you, know? you can't you can't predict how busy you're going to be, right? You, I mean, uh, yeah. you know, when it comes down to it, the business is a business, right? There's always a mm-hmm. bottom line to think about and there's always right. reports you got to file and, but you can't project precisely how busy each month is going to be year over year, but you know, when the, when the busy periods are going to be, you know, now let me ask you, what, when do you think that is for me? I think when is it for you? I notice it more about the winter time, you know, and it's funny. It's funny. I'm glad you said that because I I used to work trade in the Northeast, and if I could explain the tra- do you, uh, do you know because I know there's different terms everywhere. Do you know what I mean when I say trade? You're talking about embalming, correct? Uh, embalming being a trade funeral director. Yeah, okay. Uh, so basically, if I explain to the audience, a trade funeral director is basically someone who are freelancers. Okay. So you don't you wouldn't work for you know kind of what uh, Rico is doing in this episode sure. where, but for me in my scenario. I didn't work for one funeral home. I kind of worked for an array of funeral homes, and it was it was freelancing. So I would, you know, particular about eight or nine. I think at one time it was ten. Ten funeral homes, and when you know when I woke up, I didn't have to report anywhere. Yeah. I would kind of wait for a funeral home to get a call, and that that would me kind of be dispatched out. So I say that to say, January was always our busiest time. Yep. January, we would get slammed, just call after call after call. But what I also noticed is August, there would always be this week. Now, mind you, I'm I'm talking from my standpoint, I'm talking, I'm doing, you know, a uh, trade for about eight funeral homes okay. and all eight funeral homes. And it's always this one week in August. They, they all eight funeral homes didn't get anything. Oh my God. There was always this lull. There was always this, this week of just doing nothing. Uh, maybe a call breaks out, sure. but you know, you're used to a call, you know, a few calls just doing a funeral homes. And it was, it's, it's just so funny how it works. January, you get slammed and that week in August. Now let me ask you too, cause I always had a theory and I've never seen any stats behind this mm-hmm. or whatnot. Did you ever have a theory as to why? Absolutely. Picked- oh, you do? Every year okay. we have the same conversation, you know, and they always say, <laughs> why do you think that is? And truthfully, man, I, you know, without getting too depressing about it, you, you mm-hmm. got to think about the family thing, right? Like Christmas is there. You got your time with your kids, your grandkids. Right, right, you right. You know, January's just come along, New Year's resolutions and there's a depression that comes usually after January. You know, it's that consumer depression. Mm-hmm. And there's also that loneliness that happens when the family disperses after all the celebration. Right. 
and that that's kind of always what I've held on to too is that the holidays and, and I always when I when I'm saying when I'm speaking this point is people who are I don't like to say it like this, but people who are people who are eminent, yeah, they're they're going to die soon, regardless, just because of the conditions of their body. And there's this kind of I don't want to say spiritual hope. There's there's this they kind of hang on for the holidays, and then once the holidays quote unquote ends, it just like you said, I guess is that pressure. That that was always my theory, but I never had any proof to back that up. No, you know? no, but uh, your opinion goes a long way. It seems like it's a very common opinion too. So. Again, I've never read stats about it, but it it makes sense to me. Well, I have to say, if if I'm all the way over here on the east coast of America, and you're all the way on the west coast of Canada, there has to be some truth to it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we both worked as long as we both have... There's got to be something if that's we have the same answers, you know. Absolutely, and you know, alternatively, the summer is usually quite, uh, quite slow. Yeah, that's funny. I guess there is. I I should try and do some research on that to see if there's any hard facts. Yeah, death rates, that sort of thing, right? uh, Moving on to uh, Nate is studying for his funeral director license test, and one thing I wanted to hit off right off the bat, just because he kind of touches on it, is what the question is now. I want to see here if it's different between America and Canada, but uh, the question is, how much money can you use out of the pre-need fund? Now, and when they were asking that question, I was like, 0%, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any, okay, okay. so it's the same up there. Yeah, any 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 uh, uh, veteran funeral director automatically knows 0%. Uh, just to explain to our audience what, a, what they're talking about, uh, basically, they're doing a pre-need contract. And a pre-need contract is... And it, listen, uh, Brett, if at any point you disagree with what I'm saying or yeah. you have something more insightful, definitely cut in. Sure. Uh, a pre-need contract is securing today's prices for a future funeral. You can prepay the funeral on the funeral home side, but outside charges and... You know, outside charges, we call them cash advance items, yep, uh, flowers, flowers, death certificates, uh, airfare, anything for your church, or, you know, your clergy fee or any escorts. You can set aside money for it, but you can't guarantee it. Yep. And just if I could explain just a little bit more, meaning I'm going totally random off numbers here. If you secure a full service funeral for, you know, a thousand dollars you can set aside $300 for your debt certificates, your flowers, whatnot, but that's not guaranteed. But your $1,000 funeral that you prepaid in 1980 is just as good in 2016. That's right. But And, and, and just to explain what I mean about the, the cash advance items is that that same funeral that you booked in 1990 for $1,000, the debt certificates back then may have been $5. Now, fast forward to 2016. $27 for here. Right, yeah. right. They go up. So therefore, you, you know, we can't, as a funeral home, as a funeral industry, we cannot secure those prices. That's that right. They are third parties, obviously. The funeral home can't secure that. So sticking with the pre-need and, you know, how much, like we were just saying, that 0% of the money you can use. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to explain to people where that money actually goes. Yep. Um, do you have, do you, I'll, I'll give you the floor sure. kind of just to explain to people that when they just keep going off this example of this $1,000 funeral. Yeah, okay. So, so someone walks into your funeral home today, they get the pre-need contract, they give you $1,000. Do you want to explain what actually happens to that $1,000? Sure. So that, that money could go into either a trust account or an insurance account. And mm-hmm. it's kind of pooled uh, with all the other funeral homes that you know, have their pre-arrangements uh, filed. Mm-hmm. So that money builds with interest over the years. And that that's kind of where the protection from inflation comes from. Right. You know? So when that 
like you said, when the when their time comes and they have to withdraw those funds, yeah, protect the inflation, right? Because they just built all that interest and a huge pool of money, and that's how they pay for the today's costs from twenty years ago, a thousand dollars. Right. If if you think if if you're kind of taking your, out your business mind of it that. If you pay that thousand dollars in 1990 and 2016, you have to imagine that the funeral home still has to make money. That's right. Um, the funeral home, just how you explained, the funeral home doesn't even—they don't have that money. So it's not like when you show up in 2016 or whenever you show up, you know, if the funeral home spent it or you know, the the trust or the insurance has it. That's so right. it's just kind of it's kind of important to do that. And I do like to I you know uh, recommend to people that if. If you have the money to do so, you should uh, pre-plan just so, and you know, it, it's kind of the thing that surrounds pre-need is you kind of take the big decisions away from Absolutely. family members. Absolutely. It's a huge whatnot. burden. I mean, I can right. I can speak from experience. You know, there's um, with a family death, it, this person didn't pre-arrange and the family hasn't even talked to this person about what they, they mm -hmm. wanted, right? If the decisions mm -hmm. are laid out, paid for, they have a roadmap to work with. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and I would even say it's funny because I, I keep using this example because when I hear pre-need, my mind goes to someone who funded a funeral back in the 80s, 90s, and, you know, we're today 2016. I'm even talking where uh, a person is eminent. You know, the doctor says this person has X amount of days to live. The funeral, the family will come into the funeral home, let's say, a couple days before the person dies. Yeah. They make all these big decisions. And then afterwards, when the time does come, they're already so relieved because we did make those big decisions and yeah. it's always just a nice like you know it's kind of thank you for helping me help you oh yeah you know yeah absolutely and, and you know with, with that example people who make those decisions a couple of days before the death occurs you know i would just urge people use those days spend it with the person but if you can make these have this conversation remove that taboo of, of the discussion about death and just sit down and talk to your family about what you want to do yeah, you know, I, I I just think it's important. Uh, so we move on to Rico is got a call from Croner, Croner Corporation, and we see here Gilardi is kind of, I would say, somewhat recruiting Rico mm -hmm. to take on this restoration of the death capsule we saw in the beginning. Um, now I know you said you're part of a larger part of funeral homes. Yeah. Um, this Gilardi to me, he just seems so. And I spoke about it in in prior episodes. Mm -hmm. He's so business like. He's yeah. so. They, I'll tell you what. They paint what that industry, that part of the industry, is in a very bad light. Yeah, and and you know, I'll I'll tell you this. I um I worked for the company that I think they're trying to portray. Okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, it, I'm actually going to do a video about this in the future yeah, you know, good, where, good. where they um i kind of do the comparison of family and corporate okay when it gets down to the brass tacks of these two businesses as long as the people who are in the front lines doing the work care about their job mm -hmm. you're going to get the same service from either either way but be, like we mentioned before being a business and being a larger business than maybe a family-owned small small mom and pop operation, uh -huh. there's going to be a corporate level that does depend on making sure that they're making their money, right? Uh -huh. So, I think they've really taken the entirety of that upper level and shrunk it down to one person, and they've made him very unappealing. And right. So right. I, I don't. I'm not saying that I like Gerardi as a character because I think he's pretty 
pretty disgusting. And they make they make him out to be a villain. They they don't no. you know, there's no there's no gray area. He's definitely no. in the black here. Absolutely. So um yeah, sorry, what was the question? I got a little bit carried away there. <laughs> no, that's all right. That's kind of what I wanted this episode. Um you know, I, you know what's funny too is while you were talking about that, I think and I'm going to call it a war and I'm doing air quotes around that only because the war that a local the local funeral homes versus the corporate funeral homes that is so much behind the curtain that a family a family doesn't have any idea and it only really matters to us kind of the the, you know the funeral homes whatnot of course Um, i just think it's funny that you know the big you know and it's been increasing over the years the the local versus corporate um and I just think, you know, if you pulled a random family that had served at either funeral home, they don't know anything that we probably would, would start talking about, no, you know? No, absolutely not. And it's it's unfortunate that that is considered, you know, like you said, the war, you know, that, that goes on behind the scenes. Because truthfully, if, if, if the two could find a way to sort of coexist, you know, right, right. they could these family business because they could really progress so much further without worrying about spending their energy on what the other company's doing. Yeah. And you know, what's funny. And, and I had said this in the pilot that this here, cause you got to imagine that this is 2001. Yeah. This is sort of the, the start. I mean, I, I it was happening before, but at 2001, it's the acquisitions were further. We're, 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 I'm sorry. Like the acquisitions you mean? Or? Yes. Yeah. It's growing. Yeah. It's growing, yeah. you know, and now we're here in 2016 and it's, I, you know, who knows what it'll be in 10 years. Uh, but to get back to what Rico's restoration, um, you know, Rico mentions to Gilardi that he goes, he says something along the lines of that, your texturizers suck. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he has to break stone. And what he's talking about there is embalming fluids. That's right. Um, and there's a wide range of them. I, I, I had kind of freeze framed and went, you know, piece by piece because I wanted to see what fluids he ends up taking from the Fisher funeral home. Right. And these are all Dodge. Because you got to imagine, too, if if you're a person who's somewhat interested in the funeral industry, you have to also keep in mind that there is an entire world of just simply embalming fluid companies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, people never think about that. Yeah. And they advertise and they do everything just like the same way McDonald's does or Target or Best Buy. I'm glad you brought They're, that up because uh-huh. during the little breaks in this show when they do these little embalming fluid commercials, you know, yeah, it's like yeah. you go through these funeral director magazines and it's like, oh, my God, I never would have thought in my entire life that I would see ads. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's something really funny and uh i had went to a funeral director convention here in orlando uh a while back and they had ads in you know kind of what do you call that you're, you know your welcome booklet or whatnot yeah. some of the embalming fluid company ads were the the the, the font or the text in it was mimicking disney mm-hmm. <laughs> and people would never even think that they do this kind of advertising and, and it is because you have x amount of funeral homes and all these funeral homes need a bombing fluid, yeah. but now you have six company, oh, six company. You have a bunch of companies to choose from. Yeah. Someone's got to catch your eye. Yeah, of course. So when Rico went to the funeral home, I, I I took I froze it, and what Rico took was two bottles of Chromatech, a bottle of Intrafiant, and a bottle of Restorative. When I say a bottle, that's sixteen ounces in the bottle and they're all from this dodge company that i'm talking about now have you let me start here have you ever done 
a huge restoration like this? I have, actually. You have? Yes, okay. I have. And uh, this is going back a number of years, though, so you'll have to bear with me on the details. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, do you want to hear about it? Uh, yeah. I guess let's hear about the kind of how Rico's saying he's going to start using the plaster of Paris and what fluids you use and whatnot. If you just give a, a quick rundown of just kind of how you went by it. Sure. Let's sure. hear it. Well, there's... Um, so there's a lot, as you know, there's a lot of improvisation we do in the prep room. Mm -hmm. you know? So you know the uh, the the mouth injectors. Uh, a mouth inject? Are you speaking about the ones that go in the gums? Yep. A, ne a needle injector. Yeah, a needle injector. Sorry, I okay. was thinking mouth. So an, so a needle injector is basically there's two tacks. This is to close a mouth. Yeah. So you kind of have these metal tacks, and you kind of for it's actually called a gun, and the metal tack will attach to the gun. And that is uh, embedded in the bone in your gums. So you put one up, one down, and the two wires kind of, you know, you could wire it shut. And that's, I guess that's kind of where people start to say, you know, do they wire your mouth shut? Yeah. <laughs> yes. But this is, you know, there's a, there's a reason, there's, you know, there's a, a, a process behind it. Yeah. So you have your needle injectors with your metal tacks. Basically, the skull had been crushed. Mm -hmm. And so we had to removed all the skull pieces from the head and essentially mm -hmm. put it back together like a 3d puzzle right. using needle injectors oh and, wow yeah so and you know in between you know it's like we got to be we got to make sure that everything's sticking together so you use a little bit of you know maybe plaster in between the, the fractures and, and then when you put the skin back over the the scalp over the skull you know you're working with a lot of wax to make sure that the the, the skin is you know blending with each other and then you got right blending makeup so you know what Rico's talking about with the plaster of paris and everything i mean obviously he's he's discussing building a building a face and i wanted to explain if, if you didn't know what plaster of paris was and, and i guess i guess let me start here is that i have never done a, a restoration this major yeah. as what rico does yeah. i've seen and i've i've kind of been a part of but i've never done one myself that i could brand my name on it mm -hmm. uh, but for starters plaster of paris and if you have a better explanation for it is basically cement yeah that you kind of you make a solution and you know you kind of start layering the plaster of paris to the point to where it grows, where you see that this woman's head in this episode is kind of flat and Rico kind of builds, for lack of a better term, a cement head. What I wanted to, what I wanted to start to discuss with what the, the chemicals that Rico picks out, because to the obvious viewer, uh, just to the regular viewer, Rico just goes in and he just grabs a few embalming bottles and that's what, you know, that's what he's going to use to the restoration. But as a funeral director and as someone who's going to nitpick at the show, the three chemicals he chose, like I said before, is called restorative, introfiant, and chromatech. If you're doing a restoration, one of these bottles is correct. The two other is not what you would use. No, if I, I say, oh sorry, go, go ahead. Okay, no, I was gonna no, say no. if um, if I remember correctly, introfiant would be the one you probably wouldn't even bother with in this. Am I right? Uh, you're like Nate. You could pass your funeral director test today. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's got a lot of dyes in it, right? So, I mean, it's really not going to make a big difference in the end result. Right. And let me explain the reason why introfiant as opposed to restorative and chromatech. So, when you're starting a restoration, your first step is you have to make sure everything is completely dry. Um, 
everything is embalmed. Embalmed, I don't think, I haven't got into what a full embalming is yet on this show. And I just wanted to just quickly say embalming is preserving and disinfecting the body. So when you're starting your restoration where Rico starts with, you know, this this mush of a head, he has to make sure that that head is completely dry, firm, so he could start his restoration. He has to have a foundation to start on. So out of our three chemicals, introfiant is an arterial chemical that just has, you know, extreme embalming agents. It's meant to firm and bleach, like you said. Whereas our, now let, let me go over to our other one, Chromatech. The Chromatech is good for, how do I say this, tinting. Mm-hmm. It is an embalming fluid. It does preserve. It does firm. It's kind of a yellowish color, right? Like a right. orangey. But yeah, it, it, yeah, orangey. But the problem with Chromatech is it also is a humectant. Yeah. And what I mean by humectant is... Adding moisture. Right. It adds moisture. Why would you want to add moisture during an embalming? Uh, sometimes you have pretty... Uh, emaciated cases and what this chromatech does is it adds some some i, I guess i would say uh, a pliable skin to work with yeah. when you're doing your makeup and whatnot because mm-hmm. um, you know if the whole point of embalming is to firm preserve and disinfect why would you want to add moisture right. and it's for reasons like that where uh you have your case this person's you know completely dehydrated and that makes for a tough time doing cosmetics yeah you know, just picture you're putting cosmetics on concrete as opposed to, I don't know, sponge help my analogy cake. out here. There you go, a sponge cake. And I don't think either would look great at all. But yes, that's exactly, you know, a dry sponge as opposed to a wet sponge. Yeah. Um, so this Chromatech, if maybe he was only embalming the lower part of the body, I guess I could, I could um, reason with him there. This other fluid that he takes, restorative, restorative is not an embalming fluid. Restorative is what we call an accessory fluid. Mm-hmm. So you got to have your arterial, which is, you know, our either introfine or chromatech. Our restorative is just an accessory, meaning you would add it to your regular solution. Restorative is a humectant in the same way chromatech is, but this kind of adds a anti-dehydration. Okay. You know, you're going to, you, here, here's the best way I can describe it. You're going to bring life to your very emaciated cases. Sure. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have some pliable, for lack of a better term, skin and tissue to work with. Yeah. So while Rico is doing this embalming, he would not want his foundation to be... Wet. Embalmed. Right, yeah. right. And, you know, that's why our introfiant is the one bottle he would be taking while the Chromatech and Restorative would would be working against him. Right. There's no reason. So, you know, to, to the uninformed viewer... He's doing the right thing, right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I never actually thought to even look at what he was taking, to be honest with you. The only reason why I want to take it, because I know my my original idea of this show is that the first few seasons, they really stick close to the funeral home, uh, the funeral industry. Later on in the seasons, they kind of get lazy. Uh, so I just, I, I just wanted to see what exactly he was taking yeah. as, and as an embalmer, just to see you know, what fluids they were using. Uh, Brett, I wanted to ask you, have you ever done outsource work or kind of what Rico is doing? Work Actually, for- no. And as, I'm glad you brought that up too, because when you mentioned your trade, um, mm-hmm. we just, we just don't have that out here. It's, it was really, really interesting to hear about that because I've heard of freelance embalmers, freelance, you know, prep 
right. work, but not out here. It just doesn't happen. Interesting. Yeah. Areas where I've lived and it's, it's kind of where, how do I say this? High population cities where I've lived and worked. Um, it's definitely a lot more common, mm-hmm. a, a small town or whatnot, or smaller towns. There's really, I guess, kind of like you're saying, there's no need for them. Yeah. Um, you know, one place works for that and so on. Yeah. And you know, with, um, with my company, everything's centralized for the preparation area, much right, like right. the embalming area at Kroner. Right. So, right. you know, we have, I think there's about 15 or 16 funeral homes in our network in the lower mainland, um, mm-hmm. where I think we have two service centers that, that primarily deal with strictly embalming and the part-time staff drivers and that sort of thing. So right. they, they staff that pretty, pretty well for that sort of thing. Uh, we're going to move on to David and Nate renting out the chapel. Yep. Nate brings the idea to rent out the chapel for senior dancing. Mm-hmm. What's funny here is, and it's, you know, the same character points we were hitting earlier is that he agrees once he sees the business aspect of it. Yes. Um, in my experience, I've never been in a funeral home where we rented out the chapel, not just for dancing, but just for anything. Uh, we've, you know, I was racking my brain to see what we've done, and I'm I'm talking strictly from the angle of people coming into your funeral home, because mm-hmm. you know funeral homes have as sponsored and you know hosted events and whatnot, but inviting people into your funeral home for business, I've never experienced it. That have you ever in anything? Funeral homes you've worked for? No, not not yeah. not for anywhere I've worked. And and you know it's I think it might be a sensitive topic to a lot of people too. You know, I mean, like you said, events and seminars and that sort of thing. Yeah, sure, of course, but nothing like that. Yeah, and, and I would be curious to hear if there's any other funeral directors or anyone listening if they know of that because, like you said, the, the stigma of it. All the funeral homes and the chapels they're set up a certain way mm-hmm. to completely just. I don't know. Just thought, it, it seems. I'm. I'm just thinking of where I where I've worked, and just to imagine that there would be anything held there, it's just <laughs> odd. You know, it, it's just something I've never even thought of. And oh, of course, again here, it's you know we're talking 16 years ago. Mm. Uh, interesting. Know, Vancouver is a pretty culturally diverse area, and okay, uh, you know, culturally, death for a lot of people is not something they want to be around. So quite often, <laughs> a lot of my client families want to be in and out as fast as possible you know? <laughs> right right <laughs> we see here kurt he is the dance teacher who's leading the class that obviously is in uh the fisher funeral home and there's a quick moment here where he invites david to be his partner right. his dance partner mm-hmm. and we see that david is obviously uncomfortable and he kind of has this six feet under type dream where everyone in the room starts celebrating them, you know, dancing and kissing. But of course, really quick, we see it's a dream. Did you know it was a dream at first? Let's start there. Or I think based on previous David experience, right. Right. I was suspect when the guy turns around and says, kiss him, you know, I was like, (laughs) okay, that's David having a dream, you know? Right. Right. And I like when, so after the class is over, Nate shows up and I, re- I just really liked uh, as a sense of togetherness and being his brother and where David at David is at with his homosexuality, you know, Nate kind of instigates and oh, yeah. you know, he, he kind of, he's pushing him on, you know, he's, yeah, he's it's like, him. get out there and date. Right. Yeah. Right. I just really like that as, as a brother, you know, absolutely. And you know that, that, I think that was the first point in that series when I actually felt like those two as, as brothers in the show mm-hmm. really connected you right. know, and actually, it was believable. Yeah, yeah. It was a nice moment there. Yeah. 
to get back to Rico freelancing, you know, he goes by the funeral home, as we talked earlier, to take some texturizers. And automatically right there, the Fishers knew that something was up. Yeah. Uh, Rico is sort of jittery. And, you know, Nate, Nate has the suspected idea when he goes ahead and calls Vanessa. Mm-hmm. A really quick, unnoticeable, and if you're only kind of noticing this if you're watching it for analysis to talk about it. But Rico goes to grab his jacket. Yeah. But a few moments earlier, Nate was tanning outside shirtless. <laughs> just knowing, just knowing California weather, that was a quick. And maybe you know what? Now, as a, that was literally coming out of my mouth, maybe that was intentional. Mm-hmm. You know, to just if like if you were in the winter and you'd be in like, oh, I just have to go grab my bathing suit. Yeah, at first, that'd be a huge red flag. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> but hey, if you're trying to come up with a quick little lie, it's uh, it's one of those things that just comes off the top of your tongue. And you're like, oh my god, I shouldn't have said that. It's hot. right, right. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, let me get my shoes, yeah. but you weren't <laughs> you your shoes on. Them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and we start to see here, and, it, you know, it kind of is what dooms this relationship that they're not being, well, Rico is not being appreciated. Yeah. You know, he sees that they're not recognizing his work and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But to move to Gilardi again, we had thought in earlier episodes that it was Brenda who burned the house down. Right. And right. It, in one of the few mysteries Six Feet Under does, they really don't do a lot of who done it sort of things but we find out that it was Croner themselves yep. and kind of like I was saying before that that really <laughs> if we if we already thought that this guy was a bad guy that now we're really nailed at home you know kind of like we were saying before and you were saying it good that if 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 there was a world where a local funeral home and a corporate funeral home could coexist that would be better for everyone yeah. i remember a time going back to what i said about the war i remember it, it was in my in my first year working, another a local another local funeral home was on a service, mm-hmm. and their hearse broke down. Right, and they called the funeral home I was working for to bring out a hearse. Mm-hmm. And you know that's a sense of you know I met that's a sense of community. That's, yep. that's 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 restaurants helping another restaurant. Hey, we've run low on napkins. We've run low on silverware. Could you help us out? Right. Yeah. I can't imagine that happening today at all between these funeral a local and a corporate like in today's like just day-to-day wherever just you're you are on a service and your hearse breaks down could you would you even be allowed <laughs> to contact well, the local funeral home to ask for their hearse? you know what i'll tell you this now for one year uh actually sorry two years i worked for a family-owned funeral home and okay. uh see, i broke away from the company I work for now, tried something else, and I came back. And we actually had a situation where the coach driver on my service forgot the church truck. Oh, boy. (laughs) The church truck, obviously, being the uh, sort of trolley that holds the casket for the service, front and center. If you don't have the church truck, disaster. Yeah, And yeah. <laughs> it was 10 minutes to the time the service was supposed to start. You know, the coach driver came late, didn't have the church truck. So I called one of the corporate funeral homes. Who, it probably helped that I knew the guy. But right. I think the family-owned funeral home that I worked for did have a pretty good relationship because they used the crematorium uh, mm-hmm. that the corporate owned. So no problem. They whipped it back up to us. We borrowed it and got the service done. It was a success, right? But um, I think it really just depends on how that qu- – corporate maybe maybe they own the cemetery or they own the crematorium how they sort of cater to the other businesses that need to use their services right so i think there's got to be some relationship building there but there's always going to be that understated kind of 
us and them mentality, I think, behind the scenes. Yeah, definitely. And I'm trying to picture a world now if 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 I'm just out there and I guess my in would be if I knew the funeral home. You know, where where I used to work when I was doing trade, I was working for funeral homes that were locally owned and became corporate owned yeah. while I was working for them. So, you know, I used to know Joe and but now I know Joe from, you know, Joe from corporate, yeah. um, but I still have the same personal relationship with, you know, Absolutely. that person. So just thinking about it, I'm trying to play this scenario out in my head. And I don't think today in, we're almost in 2017, I don't think I could do that, you know, just from knowing, knowing the, the local versus corporate relationship, but not me and Joe's relationship, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would hope, you know, that, that, it never spills into the public, you know, or, and that people just mm-hmm. work and they do their job and they treat people right. They do, they do, they do right by their families, you know, right. right. That's all that matters in the end. When Rico is done with his restorative job, uh, we see Gilardi is obviously really impressed. We are led to believe that Rico is a very talented embalmer and even more importantly, a restorative artist. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of liked how, and I guess this is a, a corporate mentality, uh, Gilardi just kind of throws the books at him, yeah. you know, yeah. he says, you know, within eight months, I'll give you your own funeral home to run. Yeah. But the catch is he has 48 hours to make that decision. Yeah. And in passing uh, at the end of that conversation too, right? Right, right. And again, we're, we're painting Gilardi in, in the, the worst light, the worst light possible, you know, 48 hours to make a decision like that. It's not easy, you know? Man. It, it, yeah, <laughs> I've 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 made smaller decisions taking longer time. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Uh, just the way he throws the book at him. Mm-hmm. There's a nice nod to Nate's storyline when David is home, and that's where they just kind of talk about Rico. Uh, I don't know if you noticed it, but David is watching this PBS documentary. Yeah, it's two koalas <laughs> meeting, sex, right? <laughs> and as we see what happens with with Nate's storyline, you know, the Australian Connor guy comes yeah, up. I didn't even make that connection. Oh, really? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to say maybe I caught it on my second watching. Yeah. Uh, and then while they're talking here, you know, they, they realize, well, Nate brings it to David that Rico lied. He had worked for Kroner on Fisher's Clock. Mm-hmm. I absolutely see, you know, Fisher's point that Rico is kind of double dipping. Yep, and during company time too. Right. Yep. You know, but the funeral home was in a drought, and when they had seen Rico early in the day, it's not like they asked him to work. Right. But I think what's more offensive, if I put myself in David or Nate's shoes, is that he kind of just straight up lied to them. Yeah, and you know, I've always said honesty is the best policy. You know. Right. Um, personally, my experience with any company I've worked for is, you just don't do conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. Of course, of course. Yeah. And so that kind of, I couldn't, I couldn't connect with Nate when he was saying, you know, it's not like he's, you know, working for him, you know, or something right. along those lines. I could not agree with Nate at all when he was trying to reason with David. You know, and what's funny about that is, as an embalmer, you are, how do I say, you are, what Rico does, highly specialized. Specialized. But the thing is, too, is that the family for the most part, we'll never know Rico did that. Nope. Never. And kind of whoever the funeral director is on that call, he won't get the credit. Well, you know, he, he, he'll he be the face of it. Um, 
Rico will probably never get credit for it. And you quickly realize once you start out as a funeral director that you don't get, you know, 1% of the credit you should get. Yeah. And and I'm speaking for me here. I'm not saying I want it. I'm just saying you see the job Rico did. You see how much he, you see how much everyone else surrounding what he did is, mm-hmm. you know, how great of a job he did. Yeah. So when I, I say that to say is, you know, Rico says when he's talking with them that Rico did this because he was so uh, excited to do this restorative job. Mm-hmm. Now, I know they're doing that for the drama part of the television show, but in reality, he did that for money. Absolutely. And that that <laughs> was know? pretty clear, too. Oh, you think so? Well, yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right. You're right. He said he was doing it for the love of it when he's kind of talking to the Fishers, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, Because by the episode end, him and Vanessa are talking about how, how much he's going to get per restoration. Yeah. But you can also see how almost... I, I don't know what the right word would be to use, but when he's talking to Kroner about doing the restoration, how mm-hmm. kind of like almost aroused he gets about it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know what I have to say? Like I've, and, and they, they try to paint Rico in this light from the first, you know, we're now more than halfway through the first season. They try to paint him in this light where, like you said, and, and, and I, I want to state implicitly here, I don't, and I'm, I'm not going to speak for you, but he doesn't get sexually aroused. No. He gets intelligently aroused. aroused about there it. you go, intellectually. Yeah. He gets intellectually aroused because yeah. it's, a, it's a challenge. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I've never seen, I've never come across a funeral director like that. No. <laughs> not, That's that. Not they, they see a, a case coming to the funeral home and they're like, oh, this is my whatever. So the, the flip side of that, though, and I have seen this because I've gone through it, I've experienced it. When a friend or family member, uh, I don't know if you have ever worked on anyone close to you or a, a friend a friend close to you, um, I find extreme honor in doing it. So while I wouldn't act like Rico if X, one of my friend's loved one died, mm-hmm. but uh, how do I say, I guess the highest point of honor in my job sometimes is being able to take care of whatever friend or family's loved one absolutely and whether they're friend family known or not you're you're basically doing something that is going to affect people's last image of that person right right that is a huge responsibility first of all but absolutely it's an honor yeah and and that's why i was just trying to say yeah i was trying to think of where rico is coming from with this you know, like you said, this arousal, mm-hmm. and you know, just looking back, I, I, I just tried to uh, relate it to my to my experience, and you know, the closest I got was taking care of uh, one of my friend's mother. Yeah. Um, I was just so honored and happy mm-hmm. that I could, you know, help them serve this way. Yeah. And there's a great line of dialogue where David asks, you know, what is Croner offering him to leave, and Rico's reply is, "What are you offering me to stay?" Yeah. You know, the Fishers leave off with. At least they ask Rico, at least give us a chance to counter offer. Right. But what we see, we realize is the Fishers don't have much to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's something that since we've been talking about it already, the, the struggle of local versus corporate funeral owned, yes. uh, funeral home owned. The best way I could describe it is that there's kind of a cap of how much you can make as a funeral director mm-hmm. in a family owned funeral home. Yes. Whereas in corporate in your world, kind of the the best way I've always heard it described is sky's the limit. Essentially, yes and no. Mm-hmm, I mean, with, mm-hmm. with a right. with a funeral director, I mean, there there will always be a cap in your position. 
Right. Right. But there may be certain exceptions, you know, and ancillaries or something that that the family can't offer, you know, absolutely. You know, and, and, and to people who may not understand what we're, when we keep talking about this local versus corporate, because I would say to the average normal consumer, they have no idea what we're talking about when we say the local versus corporate, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the comparison I, I, I came up with was that imagine your local sporting goods store, right? You know, you could work for that store. You could be the best, whatever sporting goods sales guy, whatever sales guy. But at the end, you're still working for Smith Sporting Goods, and there's only so much that that person can be paid. Yes. But you juxtapose that with, let's say, working for, um, let's say, Nike. Sure. You know, sky's the limit. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, you could move up into head office. You can, <laughs> right. you can still work in the industry, but not actually in that industry, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly exactly what I always think about when with corporate is you don't you maybe come from a funeral director to a a region help me out market here market uh, manager or exactly director of Western US you know whatever and that doesn't yeah and that doesn't come with your local owned funeral home no. there's you you have Pitcher you have Nate Fisher and David Fisher yeah. and that's the cap of that funeral home yeah yeah and you know it's i was watching one of my favorite youtube guys uh his name is barnacules nerdgasm he was he was a coder right and he worked for this mom and pop kind of computer company and okay. microsoft offered him a job he couldn't turn it down because he had already reached his limit yeah. that, that's, <laughs> right, that's right. kind of the same you can apply that from any any industry yeah any industry you know yeah that's a good point and you know Kind of just what we're talking about, and we see that the, the Fishers are in a real bind because they're losing someone as yeah. good as Rico yeah. to their competitor, mm-hmm. you know, who's essentially somewhat trying to put him, the Fishers, out of business. Yeah, and I imagine they they would feel like their whole business is coming, you know, they're on a steady decline of business at this point. It's it's not good for the morale. You're losing your embalmer. It doesn't feel great to them at this point. I'm sure. Right. So we move on to our probably the most story that we're going to talk in this episode. We have the dinner party between uh, Nate, Brenda, Connor and Billy. Mm -hmm. You know, as we saw earlier, uh, just a real funny scene when Nate walks in. (laughs) And, you know, it's kind of like I said earlier that Six Feet Under doesn't really do a lot of, you know, mystery on the show. But when Nate first gets into Brenda's house, he kind of sees, you know, the glass is broken and... We don't know what actually is going on. And mm-hmm. a, a truly laugh out loud moment for me is when Nate finally sees who's there. It's <laughs> it's this big Australian. Uh, his name guy. is Connor. Naked guy in his glory. Yep. Just all out. Yeah. And, he, and he's not even shy. You know, I feel weird if I don't have shoes on. Oh, and, totally. you know, this, <laughs> this guy is just, you know, just letting it all hang out. And, and, and it lends itself to later when they're at the dinner. Uh, Brenda's house and what I like about Six Feet Under is they do dreams and you know little flesh is kind of like how David was when he was dancing I think in in all of media and television and movies being high is such a hard thing to do because everyone has different experiences just sort of portray it on screen yeah and and I think as 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 for me I don't smoke pot when I used to, I would get extremely paranoid. Mm-hmm. And what is perfect here is I love how paranoid Nate is because that's how I, that's how I would get. You know, I would always, I would be looking over my shoulder, and you know, I, I would be by myself. Yep. <laughs> you know, um, and I just like, I just love how uncomfortable Nate is in his own skin. Yeah. 
and we see I, I like what I really liked was when we see the backpack that Connor was supposed to be sleeping in is covered is in cobwebs, <laughs> right? And that's just that's the height of paranoia yeah. for Nate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I I love this other this other scene when Nate's high and Connor is talking and he what just yells at him. Fucking language you speak. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon the French. You know, that's just, you know, it's just, it's just take, take everything out, forget everything we've been talking about. <laughs> what fucking language are you speaking? Is just a great line because he yells it at him. He kind of barks it at him, and obviously Connor is speaking English just with an accent. Oh, and, and when you're that guy at that party, and you maybe finish a drink, <laughs> and someone says to you, "Dude, chill," it's like, oh my god, it's the worst. <laughs> Right, right. And, you know, kind of what what I wanted to think about, uh, talk about with this scene, and, you know, I kind of got my answer on the second rewatching, but what I want to try to decipher is how much is actually this happening? Is Nate really, you know, obviously the spider webs weren't on the backpack, but, you know, when Nate apologized afterwards, I guess we're led to believe that all of that actually happened. Right. Absolutely. And I, you know, the the another great line there is when he's talking about where where he's been sleeping, and he brings up the 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 sleeping bag. <laughs> and and I, I, God, I can't even say. It. He go, you know, he yells at him. You know, where have you been sleeping? And he says, Oh, in the bed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you remember the the not the line Nate yells out is, he goes, you know, you have a shiatsu mat. Yeah. <laughs> no. And just in a show that's about death and a funeral home and a closeted homosexual. I'm hysterical laughing. Yeah. I've rewatched this episode a few times. I'm laughing every time he just yells out. Yeah. You know. And you know, this yeah. is actually in memory, probably one of my favorite episodes from the season. So I'm again, super excited to be talking about it because of that. Uh, and then the, Nate and Brenda's, you know, uh, storyline kind of wraps up with Nate admitting, you know, his wrongdoing. Right. And mm-hmm. albeit he was in a drug induced state, but, and it, it's kind of what it's really boiled down to, uh, with Brenda is that she's sort of pushing Nate away mm-hmm. and it's been a constant struggle this first you know eight episodes me personally I, I got sort of a, a soap opera vibe from the resolution between them okay you know they, they again agree to work together and you know good good for them because sure. that's you know a story cannot exist without tension do you find and, that to be sort of lazy writing or just um I think I think what a, a character as complex as Brenda yeah. that you just can't have because I mean let's face it and I've spoke about this in earlier episodes I think how do I say I don't want to call a normal I think most men would have walked away as someone as good looking as Nate sure. Nate would have walked away I mean I don't I don't know how you deal with your relationships but I wouldn't have any time for this. You know, and, and my takeaway from it was that basically Nate, Nate is always the one having to sort of present, but then also resolve the problem. Yeah, make concessions and also be the one to fix it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, and that could put a real strain on a relationship. Absolutely, it can. He's a patient man. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And we see later on that uh, you know David is we we find out about this charter bus that crashed over and there's forty something. 40-odd-something people dead. Can I interject um, one second? Please do. No funeral director that I have ever met gets that excited <laughs> over a bus crashing and killing 40-some-odd people. It doesn't happen. Right. And, and, and to lend itself kind of to the theme that I probably almost bring up every episode is the jokes that funeral directors get 
they they get old really quick. They become stale, real yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly, and. No, exactly. Just like you said, you you put it perfect. No funeral director would hear of a mass tragedy, and just and dollar signs would come in their eyes. No, and for a few reasons, because at at first is, you know, there's such random odds of getting those cases, mm-hmm. and and we see that the Fishers end up getting about three of them. Yeah. You know, it's just so he he's giddy at a there's forty families. And God knows how big each of those families are. He's so giddy about death. And that's, yes, you said it perfect. No funeral director gets that excited. No. If you're going through a dry period and you get calls, you're more excited that... You're working I mean, I, again. I, yes, you're working again. It, yes. And, and obviously, and we'll, we'll always say it's a business. And, you know, but there is compassion with it. But you're just happy to be working again. Absolutely. In a perfect world, no one would die. And we wouldn't be funeral directors and... We would be out doing, you know, whatever, whatever. It is we want to do. Right. Yeah. But unfortunately, there is a need for to care for people when they die. That's right. But I like I, I like I like kind of what they do here is and, and when we speak about it earlier is, you know, kind of it's, it's a cliche. But when, when it rains, it pours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see right here, if they're getting three calls after doing nothing. And listen, one call is a lot of work. It is. Yeah. And if you get three from Obviously, let's presume that this is a high high notoriety. Sure, it's media, yeah. Right, right. Involvement, yeah. So when Rico shows up after David mentions this bus tragedy, um, uh, putting myself in Rico's shoes, mm-hmm. I would say it's it, it's. I felt I would feel pretty offended that they haven't even talked about it. Of course, and he's coming off of this whole thing of feeling undervalued already. Just as we would see from here on out that. You know, Rico's going to head into the corporate world and, you know, we'll see how that plays out over the next few episodes. Yeah. Kind of how we were, I started out the episode that we're going to go funeral heavy. Kind of two storylines that we didn't even touch upon is the Ruth storyline and the Claire storyline. Right. And for a show where they usually, every episode, all the storylines kind of intertwine, here they kind of, they're on their own they're separate. path. Yeah. Right. I mean, just to break down the Ruth storyline quick, you know, she's at lunch at the florist and she's eating with Nikolai and Hiram comes to bring lunch. And obviously we see Nikolai gets upset. Very jealous. (laughs) Right. And then kind of the opposite happens later when she's with Hiram Mm -hmm. and, you know, she starts dreaming of Nikolai. Yeah. You know, we just see the struggle that Ruth is going through. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, it was kind of like a high school kid in love. Sure, a little giddy. Yeah, and just the way they kind of go back and forth. Um, but I, you know, when 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 Ruth is with Hiram and she starts to dream of Nikolai, that was hilarious. That was another really, you know, again, and I, I've said it so many times for a show about death and funeral homes. There are some, and maybe it, that's why it's funny. Is sure. it's, it straddles that line of serious and and humor so well. And he just shows up, and me, I I couldn't. I wanted to get my own name for what Nikolai shows dressed up as. He's a Russian what? Could it have been, I don't even... I, I don't know, but he's extremely stereotypical. <laughs> <laughs> and he just shows up there and that's... And, and again, and it's why I love these Six Feet Under Visions is mm-hmm. because... They're ex- exaggerated. It's so exaggerated, yeah. but I mean, when I have my own visions and, you know, kind of have, like they always say is it's always worse than what you <laughs> picture... <laughs> I mean that's that's kind of what that's kind of what they you know they they're grabbing these cliches and and sure. putting them to, to to vision that what reason would ha- would Nikolai 
to be wearing that. Why would he have a mustache? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so it, it's just, it's really what I love yeah. um, about the show. Cool. To move on to Claire, her storyline to me seemed like, like a high school drama. Yeah. And well, I didn't have a lot to take away from it. Yeah, I don't know if you did. It felt a little bit shoehorned into the show. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, it did, there was no lasting consequences from that storyline. It was just something to fill, I think, honestly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what uh, A common thread in this show, and it's going to happen for these first few seasons, is that every episode has something that dates themselves. Yeah. And if you remember here when the camp counselor pulls out his cell phone mm -hmm. it's tremendous i mean it's 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 picture half the size but triple the thickness of a of an ipad of um, today unless of course it was a satellite phone given where they were given where they were you know what you're right that was a satellite phone so even bigger yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah absolutely especially the coverage of their phones these days you know uh-huh uh -huh. <laughs> you know and, and, and there's another scene when vanessa is viewing uh miss yorkin's body yeah and I loved because she asked Rico, you know, in real serious, you know, did you get Polaroids? And <laughs> yeah. Rico's, well, Rico's response was Polaroids. I got a digital camera. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just, that's so 2001. Oh, for sure. Uh, right in the cusp know. of all these new things, right? Yeah. Just this digital camera. You have to imagine back then the, the size of what that digital camera was. And that was kind of the explosion of digital cameras. Um, you know, that, that, that scene where they're standing over the casket, just admiring his work, I, right. I, it, it bothered me a bit. Oh, definitely. You know? Def I cringed. I cringed. Yeah. First of all, and, and I'll let you get you to your point, there's no way, I don't know if, if your girlfriend or, or whoever, they would know all the terms. No. You know, she's like, oh, the way you blended this, the way you blended that. I mean, me personally, my girlfriend doesn't even want to know what I do. No. Because sometimes, you know, the, the funeral industry affects, you know, as a funeral director, uh, some people love to hear about it. Others don't want to hear anything yeah. about it. And that's both are fine. Right, right. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. You know, different, different, different strokes, different folks. But... I mean, Vanessa knows the terminology, mm -hmm. and at this point, it's like, well, shit, why aren't you a funeral director yeah, if you know all this? Obviously <laughs> read the textbook, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, and, and that's a real cringing moment, yeah. the way she's just gawking at, yeah. you know, the person in the casket. Mm -hmm. The Claire storyline, uh, I, I like the way it kind of wrapped up with David and Claire, you know, that she basically confides in David of basically what happened, and, you know, David has to keep her a secret. Yeah. And... Just a show where there's so much sadness and everyone's kind of has their own little struggle. Yeah. A moment like that, you know, I really liked within the show. Sure, kind of right? warmed my heart. It's like that Nate and Dave thing when he, you know, after the uh, the dance, right? I mean, it's a little bit of that brother-sister thing going on. Mm -hmm, you know, a little, mm -hmm. little bit of relationship building. Claire, Claire's lesson from everything this weekend was that everything is a facade and, you know, no one is... No one is who they think they are. And, you know, it's kind of what we see in this episode where the Fishers are, you know, they don't think Nate would leave. Uh, I'm sorry, Rico would leave just out of loyalty. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the whole thing with Connor and Brenda is not supposed to be what it seems. Right. And obviously Claire, you know, she sees this and I forget her name, but she's not what, you know, she comes out as a goody two shoes. In reality, she's super slut. <laughs> yeah, super slut and, and just and just a, a disaster maker, yeah. you know. Yeah, trouble. Um, you know, I, I just I loved I loved the bookend to this episode where David just says, you know, there's work to be done. Yeah. 
And David is finally at peace as he's kind of going through that storyline of, you know, sleeping with Kurt. To get to back to Kurt for a second mm-hmm. and I'm going to I'm going to dip my toe in the water. The, for me as when Kurt and David are at dinner or having drinks whatever they're doing. Yeah. I had to google when Kurt asks David, are you a top or bottom? Because, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I kind of knew what it meant, sure. but I just, what exactly does it mean? And thank God we have Google, because if this was 2001, and <laughs> I am, you know, I'm, I'm, a great thing about this show is if you watch it when you're 20 years old and 30 years old, you're going to have extremely different views. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. To find out what top or bottom was, and David, like, kind of nervously answers, um, I'm both. I'm, ver- I'm versatile. <laughs> yeah. you know? What are you guys talking about? I got to figure this out. <laughs> and and I love how for a show that they, if they're going to let you behind the curtain of a funeral home, they're going to, I mean, I, me personally as, and you know, today in 2016 with all this media, yeah. I've never heard anything like that from a gay character's standpoint. Okay. I've never heard anything that explicit. Like on TV? Of course, on TV mm-hmm. or yeah, TV, television or, or movies. Um, I don't know. Maybe you could you could think of an example, but I've never, you know, because w- w- with a straight couple portrayed, they'll they'll talk about the dirty stuff. Right. I've never heard that. Well, sure. I mean, going back to that point in time as well. I mean, today it's a whole whole other world, right? I mean, right, the acceptance right. level is through the roof, which is right. fantastic, of course, right? Of course. Um, but back then, early two thousands, two thousand one, a little bit different. Right, mm-hmm, they, things mm-hmm. weren't exactly as open or as uh, transparent. Yeah, kill on. By all means, to hear, like I didn't have a clue what that meant when I was <laughs> watching that for the first time. <laughs> of course, you know, and and one of the great things about the funeral industry is it's an extremely accepting profession. People from right. all walks of life are part of it, and you know, there's there's quite a large gay community as well who take part. At least in in my area of uh, the country so i do hear a lot of the lingo <laughs> you know what i mean right right Locker right room talk right and it's funny to just to joke around and josh around and hear all that but you know at the time I had no clue what that was and it absolutely lifted the veil a little bit on culture beyond the funeral industry when you were talking there i remember when i was in school and i was in school in 2005 2004 2005 and the joke was and it kind of scared me not not because i'm homophobic or anything but the joke was if you're a funeral director, you end up either drunk or gay. Is that right? I'd never heard that, but I heard the drunk yeah. thing. I heard the drunk thing. You know, yeah. and it's kind of funny. Um, I, I remember speaking this with someone, but our I, I want to say our industry has a high... Again, I, I'm, I'm going how we were talking about death rates and whatnot, mm-hmm. and we kind of just spoke about it without any stats. I have to imagine our industry has a higher amount of gay funeral directors than any other field would have a high amount of gay whatever sure. people working in their thing. You think so? Absolutely. I mean, just because of, of all I've come across is there's a lot. Maybe it's just I'm in 2016 now and it's more open and they're more open to come about. But I, I would like to think our industry has a high high level of that. Absolutely. And, I, and you know, it's... um. I think in a way we're extremely lucky and, and I'll tell you this right now, I'll preface everything I'm about to say with, I cannot wait until the time comes when this conversation happens, but you don't have to say, and I'm not meaning to offend anybody or, and I'm not going one way or the other. And I'm not homophobic. You know what I mean? Like I, I, mm-hmm. I just, it is what it is, you know? And right, I, I think right. it's fantastic that 
you know, the acceptance level is where it is, you know, nowadays and that it isn't and something that people have to hide so much anymore, you know? Right. Right. And you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's, it's an open and accepting environment for anybody and it's, you know, definitely got a high percentage, which is great. Yeah. I would be, I mean, I don't know if, how the hell you would have stats on this, but I wonder where we would rank compared to other fields just out of curiosity, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I wonder, um, but Brett, that actually wraps up our episodes, our episode. Is there anything you wanted to touch on or go over? No, I, this was, this was a real blast. I, I'd love to do it again sometime. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, if you guys get a chance, check out the, um, living in the, living among the dead on youtube as well you get a chance yeah, yeah and, go, and go ahead and, and send brett questions because I, i've gotten questions randomly on reddit mm -hmm. just asking about the most random things and like yeah that's what that's what i that's what i want to do if you have a question you know how do you how do you dress a body how do you do this what do you why do you put shoes on them this and that that's that's questions that we i'm, I'm speaking for you here but mm -hmm. that we love to answer absolutely I want you to know, you know, that's <laughs> why I'm doing the podcast here. And that's why we're, you host the YouTube series. Cause you want to, you want to inform people. Absolutely. You know? I do. Where can they send questions to you? Do they do it on your comments on your video? Absolutely. Right there, right below. Cool. And then you'll take those questions and answer it. Every last one of them. That's great. That's great. I want to say thank you for listening, everyone. Um, please subscribe to me on SoundCloud or iTunes under digging six feet under. You can email me just like we were talking about questions or thoughts or criticisms at digging six feet under at gmail.com. Uh, you could tweet at me. I'm at digging podcast on Twitter and you could find this post and me on Reddit. Uh, I post these at reddit.com backslash r backslash six feet under. Uh, and I believe that's actually how me and you got in touch. I Brett. believe it is. I, yeah. Right. And that's how I've been getting in touch with a lot of people of the guests I've had so far. It's just on, on Reddit, you know, just kind of trying to get this, this podcast out there. Someone will be interested and yeah, it's a great, you know, fantastic community on there too. Yeah. I, I, I try to promote Reddit just because it, it, it lends itself to an open conversation yeah. where you don't have, I mean, you do have to make a, a username and password, but there's, it offers you so much more than just my post. Yep. Um, this is starting to sound like an ad for Reddit, and I promise it's not. If Reddit does want to sponsor this, by all means, I'm open. By all means. Right, but there's just so much. Uh, and, I, and, you know, I saw you do the same thing I do, is I'll post in six feet under, I'll post in death, I'll, accent, I'll post in morticians, ask a funeral director, because there's just so so much information out there. Absolutely. You know? Um so there you could find my post. Uh, you could find me on Facebook. I'm on Facebook now at Simply Digging Six Feet Under. Just another avenue to just please send your questions or thoughts or criticisms. Um, and I'll be posting, you know, updates of future episode guests and whatnot on there. And please, I, I would say too, if you're interested in being a guest, you have something to offer. Um, I'm open to anything. I'm trying to have the widest range of guests on my show. People who've never watched the show. I thought we would have more different customs, Brett, mm -hmm. of you being in Canada, but you're so close to, uh, you know, uh, the United States yeah, that practically family, you know, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I just imagine that you would have something wildly different, but I guess I would have to grab a funeral director from like India. Well, you know, I'll tell you this. You know? If you have me on again sometime, I, I'm British originally. And, you know, I did a lot of research in how the British do their customs and it's, it's a little bit different there. So no. more than welcome to talk about that in the future, if you like. Awesome. Awesome. That sounds great. 
So join me next week as I'll be discussing episode nine of season one of Six Feet Under titled Life's Too Short. And I'll be having special guest and host from the first to last podcast, uh, Sean Fallon, where they discuss the first episode and last episode of a TV series. And they do an episode on this one, of course, Six Feet Under. Uh, So join me to talk about episode nine next week. And until then, thanks for listening, everyone. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. Join us on the next episode as we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under. Please search and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes under Digging Six Feet Under. The Digging Six Feet Under podcast is in no way affiliated with HBO or Six Feet Under, and the views expressed here are solely that of the hosts. No infringement is intended.